Romans chapter 6. And Lord, we ask now you'd open our hearts and our minds to receive from you all that you want to say to us. Be glorified, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 6 takes a new turn in the book of Romans. Up to this point, Paul has been talking by the Holy Spirit about justification. How we are made right with God for all of eternity. It's not by our works of righteousness. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by our efforts or anything we do. It's a free gift. Look at Romans once again, uh, chapter 3, verse 28. Romans chapter 3, verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith. There you got it, folks. Apart from the deeds of the law. We're justified, made just as if we had never sinned. The slate completely clean, just as if sin had never existed. We're made that way by faith. And then skip on down to Romans chapter 4 there, starting in verse 5. But to him who does not, what? Work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. God does it by his cross, by him living a perfect life, by him raising it again from the dead. He made us right with him, not by our works, but by his justification of the ungodly. This man's faith is accounted for righteousness, the same exact righteousness that Jesus Christ has, we have as a gift. For as David also describes the blessedness of the man, the happiness, the joy of it all, to the man whom God imputes righteous, how? Apart from works. Verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered forever, scattered as far as the east is to the west, never to be remembered again. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord, now this is important, shall not impute sin. Now this is an important principle that we've, hammered over and over again that now as a Christian God no longer imputes sin to us so when we sin now God doesn't say that is a sin I'm gonna to have to separate myself from you God never does that again but as a father deals with a child so the Lord deals with us so at that point what happens is the Lord says this that that's wrong that's disobedience that is not the way you're going to live in this house. And God deals with this as a father deals with a child. First, it's his loving kindness and tender mercies. He overwhelms us with his mercy. He overwhelms us with his gentleness. He overwhelms us with his kindness. And, and often that breaks a large percentage of us. Oh, God, you're so good. And I'm such a rat. Lord, I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want to love you more. So there's that loving acceptance of Christ that just causes us to want to live more for him. Now, for the rest of us that have to, a stubborn streak, well, he's got a big paddle. And he does chastise, whip every son whom he loves. But he doesn't count that sin against us. No more than I count my kids' sin against them. My child at five says, Dad, I hate you, and I never, I wish I could run away and never live here again. And here he is, 20 years old, saying, Dad, can you 
help me out with college bills? No way. Remember when you were five years old and you called me a dirty rat and you hated me and you wish you could leave? Forget it. You know, I'm never going to. I never forgot that. That hurt me deeply, you know. We forget it. We forgive. We forget. We move on. The same with the Lord. He deals with us as a father deals with the child. If you need to be dealt with, he deals with it. It's it. It's forgotten. It's, he moves on. And God's building our character. He's changing us into his image. The Lord is working with us, but he does not impute that sin against us. When we were born again, that chalkboard that had all our sins written on it, not that he did not just erase it. He didn't get the big, thick, wet racers, you know, those big black ones and just, whoosh, whoosh, you know. He didn't do that. He took that board and he broke it into a zillion little pieces smaller than toothpicks. Now when we sin, there's not a place to even write our sin. God just has to deal with us right now with our sin right this moment. That's the way he deals. There's no longer any imputation of sin. Now, you may be a person that's struggling greatly. Well, we concluded last week a very important verse, verse 20. Moreover, the law, in chapter 5 of Romans, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but, this is important, where sin abounded, <clears throat> grace abounded, what? Much more. You may be a sinner. God's grace is greater. You may be a big sinner. God has big grace for you. You're never going to tap out His grace no more than you need to worry about a guppy drinking in all the ocean. Oh, there's that guppy I threw in the ocean, you know. I better hurry down to the beach and surf while I can before he drinks all the water up. You know, you don't have to worry about that. No more than you can worry about tapping into God's grace. His grace is always sufficient. Now, there are people who love to take this wonderful concept of grace and they like to distort it. Now, they can't help not distorting it because they themselves are distorted. If they weren't distorted, they wouldn't distort the grace of God. But they're twisted, therefore everything they put their hand on is twisted as well. Peter talks about this. Hold your finger there in Romans 6. Really, we're going to read Romans 6 tonight, honest. But over in 1 Peter, chapter 3, or 2 Peter, excuse me, chapter 3. It's way back at the end of the New Testament. I know you're tired on Wednesday nights. Don't peter out on me, though. 2 Peter, chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. So be diligent to be found in him without spot and blameless. Verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. <clears throat> Verse 16, As also in all his epistles, speaking to them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, like the stuff we're getting ready to cover in Romans chapter uh, 5, 6, 7, and 8, some things hard to understand, which those who are untaught and unstable twist to their own destruction 
as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know these things beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Look over there in 2 Peter chapter 2, and you'll see the kind of stuff he's talking about in verse 18. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh through, notice this, licentiousness, or giving yourself a license. Giving yourself a license to live after the flesh instead of to live a life after the Spirit. The ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, listen to this, we're under grace, man, sin, grace abounds more. They themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse than them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after having washed uh, to her wallowing in the mire. One more in Second Peter chapter 1. There in verse 2. Peter again Balancing this concept of grace, not that it needs balance, but it needs balanced in the twisted mind. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Grace, peace be multiplied to you. I love that. hate that addition stuff. You know, I like the multiplication. Grace and mercy be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us things that pertain, notice, to life and... To godliness and this is where those who twist it say no it's only to godliness not to life no it's both life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly and great and precious promises again some people twist that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature listen to this you may be partakers of a divine nature now having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Again, this is an important concept. So therefore, in verse 5, and also, or but, the word chi in the Greek can be translated and or but, and also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. What? Yes. It's not a completed work on this earth. You need to add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. 
For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there are some people, as Peter mentions here, that are short-sighted, that twist the truth, that are of a corrupt mind of licentiousness, and they take these most precious scriptures because they're people who want to live a life after the flesh, and they don't understand that God has freed us to live a life after the Spirit. Now, if you are like most people, you're sick of the world. The last thing you want is a license to go back to the world. We're not like the pig after being washed to want to go back into the mire. We're not like a dog after barfing that up, that thing that upset our stomach and, and causes discomfort and causes to be sick all day and moan and groan. We don't want to go back over and eat that thing to cause it upset our stomach all over again. But there are people like that. They have one thing in mind. I want my fire insurance, man. Let me sign on the dotted line. Okay, tell me for sure I got a pass to heaven. Okay, thank you. I'm going to go live it up until it's time to cash in the ticket. That's not Christianity. God is not in the life insurance selling business. He's in giving abundant life now as well as in eternity. There's what's called cheap grace. And I'll tell you right now, the grace of God is not cheap. It's free. It's free to you, but it was not cheap. It was very, very costly for him. Now, there's two important concepts. <clears throat> to those who are of a good heart, of a noble spirit, you don't need to know them. It will simply happen naturally. You, as a believer who saw your sin and cried out to God, you will be able to walk as a Christian because you're truly born again of a true, complete, contrite, surrendered heart. You just jump on that bike and you start pedaling. You don't think, okay, I need to balance. Not too much to the right. Ah, not too much to the left. Ah, you know, straight ahead. Okay, you don't think about it. It's just a sense. You just jump on and you ride and, and you don't really think about, am I balanced or not balanced? You just... You're riding. But there are people of corrupt minds who aren't completely surrendered to God, who don't want to surrender to God any more than they have to. And so they're always on the fence. I'll give my life to God just enough to make it to heaven. Any more than that, forget it. Because I still enjoy living a life after the flesh. I still enjoy my lust, my covetousness, my pride. I still enjoy the drugs, the alcohol, the partying. I still enjoy the immorality, the pornography. I don't want to have to give it up. So tell me what it takes. I won't do any more or any less than what I absolutely have to to be at peace with God, period. 
You see, that's not the believer's heart. The believer's heart is sick of this world. It is sick of sin. He's sick of the things that bound him up, took portion of his soul. He now wants to truly give his life and surrender to God in, in its entirety, in spirit, soul, and body. But, as Paul had said in Romans chapter 3, there are people, as it says in verse 8 of Romans chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Some were saying, Why not say, Let us do evil, that good may abound. Good may come of it. As we all slanderously reported, and some affirm that we do say that. Their condemnation is just. But you look here, Paul is saying that. <laughs> Where sin abounds, what's going to happen? More grace is going to be given. Let me ask you, is more grace better than less grace? It is. Wow, more grace is given. How do you get more grace? Sinning more. Then let us go out and sin. I want more grace. This is the distorted mind's view. Is that true? It is true. You sin more, you get more grace. I want more grace, so I'm going to go sin more. Paul did end up saying that, but not in the context of which they were saying. You see, here's the way it's supposed to be. God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, shows us our sin, shows us true righteousness, and shows us the judgment to come. So there's an urgency to act today as the day of salvation. We were convinced there was a heaven to gain, there was a hell to end up being a part of. We did agree that we were sinners, and we did agree that we had to be perfect in righteousness to be accepted by God. All of that coming together, bringing a true godly sorrow, a godly repentance in which you said, Lord, forgive my sin, come into my life, be the Lord of my life. With great joy, with great joy, you said, I am a Christian. What can I do to grow in Christ? Well, there's a new believers class. I'm there, man. Let's go for it. And then what else can I do? Well, there's a home Bible study. I need that home Bible. I'll be there. What's the address? Where is it at? And we have church. Sunday morning, three services. I'll be there all three services. It's the same message. It doesn't matter. I'm going to be there. Sunday night. They're there Monday night. They're just on fire, man. They want Jesus. They want us all their life. They just cut out things. Just, they don't care. They don't care what the cost is. They just start cutting out friends that want to party. I can't be with you anymore. Why? Man, I'm going with Jesus. I don't have time to party with you. I'm too busy reading the Bible and praying and hanging out with Christians just wanting to hear more about Jesus. Now, what quickly happens is they still realize, I got born again. All the old things passed away. All things became new. But they quickly discover it's in spirit. God caused my spirit to be born again. He healed my soul. Oh, I feel it. But they also learned this old body didn't get saved. No, not one bit. Mm, taste that beer right now. Mm. I still want to smoke. 
man, every time I smell that pot, oh, man, I just, I just want to go buy me a pound of that stuff. And I was over at work, and there in the bathroom at work is a centerfold. And man, I just wanted to stare at that thing. And what's going on? I'm born again. I, I can't be a part. And they start realizing, hold it. What I trained my body to do, my body still wants to do that. But hold it. All the old things passed away. It did. You have a new mind. You can no longer be at peace with this world anymore. You can no longer go back into that life of sin without greatly grieving the Holy Spirit and your own soul feeling the damage of your sinful ways. You have a dad now. And he's not going to let you walk in the ways of the world anymore. It'd be like taking a bum off the streets and he's used to eating off the ground. And you take him into your house and there you set a beautiful table and, and there he is eating off the ground. Get up. Sitting at the table. Oh man, it just feels so weird sitting at the table. I don't care. It feels different, but you're going to learn this is the way it needs to be. What do you have those old rags on for? I thought I threw those things in the trash. Yeah, I, I know, but I, I've gotten so comfortable to those old rags. They smell, and they have holes in them, and I planned on burning them this afternoon. Get off to put those brand new clothes on I, I gave to you. But that old flesh, you see, that old man wants to be a part of that old life still. Now they know. They can't be a part of that old life. And they know that's what's best for them. It's not to be a part of the old life. And their spirit is crying out to be pure and to be holy and to be innocent and, and to enjoy the things of Jesus and not to, and to, be, not to long, longer be bummed out and dragged down in their body and, and their relationships and their finances and their health being destroyed by the ways of the world. They've seen it. They know it's destructive. Spirit, soul, and body, it destroys it. They know that. They know in their mind that they need to follow Jesus. It's going to benefit their relationships. It's going to benefit their health. It's going to benefit their, their relationship with God as well as with others and their finances and their marriage with their kids. All is going to be blessed if they follow the ways of the Lord. They know that, but they stumble and fall as we all do. To that person, we need to tell them, where your sin abounds, your grace abounds, God's grace abounds more. But Brian, you don't understand. I've been a Christian now five years. It's not like I've been struggling this a couple of weeks. I have now a mature Christian. I'm a home Bible study leader. I've led a hundred people to the Lord. I've helped ten other people stop this habit that I'm struggling with. Where your sin abounds, God's grace much more abounds. Well, I feel that God maybe have rejected me. Now, what? go over with me again. What's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I'm not going to go over with you. You didn't commit it. Are, are you sure that God doesn't throw you away after five years of probation period? No. He doesn't throw you away. We have to come to that place to lay in security before the Lord... 1 Corinthians 13. God only receives love. 
That's the only response he wants. You can give your body to be burned. Oh, you could be the most holiest person in the world. But if it's because you're afraid to be unaccepted by God, if you're afraid that God might throw you away, and that's why you're buffeting your body, that's why you're trying to live this holy life, is because you want to make sure you make it to heaven, so you're trying to live a godly life to make sure that you don't end up in hell. You know what? God has not received one of your good works. You are nothing, it says in 1 Corinthians 13. And all your works are accounted before God as nothing. You have to first read and read and read Romans chapters 1 through 5 to be set at peace. You are right with God because God made you right with Him because of His cross and His resurrection. Period. Not of your works, not of your unworks. Not of your good works, not of your bad works. Not of your lack of good works, not of your amount of bad works. Nothing that you've done or do will accept you or unaccept you. You're accepted in the Beloved because God loves you before the foundations of the world He loved you. After you were born, He loves you. After you've been screwing up the last 20 years, He still loves you. That has never changed. It never will change. We as believers have to be set at ease. Rest. Make sure, it says Romans or Hebrews chapter 4, that you strive to enter into that rest. Let none of you come short of that rest. What rest? That God has done all the work. We're not saved by anything that we do. To that person, we need to say and continue to say to them, where your sin abounds, God's grace much more abounds. The righteous man falls seven times, he gets up seven times. It does not matter. God's no longer imputing your sin to you. God doesn't remember one of your sins. You're without spot, without blemish before him every single day. Right now, if you go to, before God, it's as, as if you had never have sinned. There is no sin of condemnation against you whatsoever. Now, there are those people who hear of this most glorious gospel of grace. Paul calls it that, the gospel of grace. Acts 20. They are not sick of their sin. They are not sick of this world. They don't necessarily see the devil as the bad guy. You know, he's not all bad. The world's not all bad. You know, I have a lot of fun at some of those parties. Yeah, I might drink a little bit much, but you know, they even called Jesus a drunk, and you know, he probably had one or two too many uh, on a couple occasions. You know, I, when I get high, it's not like anybody gets hurt. Matter of fact, I can't say getting high is any more brutal than, uh, you know, ten cups of coffee, like I've seen a lot of those Christians do between first and second service Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, you know, I look at pornography, but, you know, God's made the human body, and everything God made is beautiful. So it's more of art to me rather than pornography. You hear these types of things. And of course, they're always a lot worse than they let it be known. If they're doing that in the light, what do you think they're doing in the darkness? Okay, I'm telling you stuff they can't justify so easily. But they'll always use these scriptures, twisting them to continue in their sin. 
They'll twist the scriptures. You know, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And I say to that person, you know what? Grace is not abounding in your sin. You are a twisted, warped person. You are a dog returning to its vomit. You are a pig in its mire. You are not born again. Oh, yes, I am. I went down to the Harvest Crusade, you know, and I prayed that prayer. I don't care. You're not born again. Because you see, when a person gets born again, all the old things pass away, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And all things become new. You have had not had that born-again experience where God's Spirit floods into your life and there's a change of will. There's a change of thinking. There's a change of mind. Hold your finger in Romans 6. We're really going to read Romans 6 tonight. Honest. In 1 John chapter 3. Ah, maybe we won't. 1 John chapter 3. There in verse 4. First John chapter 3 verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. In verse 5. And you know that he was manifested, Jesus Christ was manifested, to take away our sins, plural. And in him there is no sin, the very nature of sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Do you hear this, folks? Now, you need to make a note because in the English, we only have three tenses, past, present, and future. In most languages, they have far more tenses than that. And in this tense, it's actually in the present continuous form. So you sin and keep on sinning. In some of your modern translations, it'll actually read here, practices a life of sin or continues in a life of sin. So this isn't saying you flub up one time, okay? This is saying a person who is sinning and living in that life of sin, practicing sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin and continue sinning. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. You understand that? There is not a born-again experience there. It hasn't happened. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices, lives a lifestyle of righteousness, is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God, listen to verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin and continue on sinning. For his seed remains in him, the Holy Spirit, he cannot sin and keep on sinning because he has been born of God, verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of devil, devil are obvious or manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, and he who does not love his brother. So, if you have a sin in your life and you are justifying that sin, you're saying, well, you know, you know, don't, bum, don't, don't let a lot of Christians know, but, you know, smoking pot is not a sin. 
it's no worse than 10 cups of coffee. You know, don't, you know, I really, I really ticks me off. Those legalistic Christians down there, they can't enjoy the human body like I can. And, you know, I can, I can look at naked pictures all day and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't cause me want to go out and rape somebody. You know, it's the human body. And, I, you know, but don't, don't let anybody know it because, you know, there's a lot of those Pharisees, those weak-minded, they'll come out and say, I'm sinning. But we, we know. That's more mature-minded people. We know that that's not sin. There's people like this. I've more than once counseled people who are living together. They're not married. And they will come in and say, well, you know, we're... We love each other, you know, and, you know, we went down on the beach and, you know, we just sort of got married before God and, you know, all these kind of things. <laughs> you're in sin. And I do not believe you're born again. God has never entered into your life. The Holy Spirit's not living in you. The rapture of the church were to come, you were to die today, you would go to hell, there's no doubt in my mind. Because somebody was born again. We are not in a life of sin. We struggle with sin. And some sins we may struggle with till the day we die. But we hate it. We grieve over it. We wish it were not a part of our life. And we're reminded daily because we are in sinful flesh. We get angry. We lust. We have pride. We covet. All of those things that Christ died for that we know will not have in our new body, we hate seeing it in our body. But we know that little by little, God is perfecting us. Little by little, God is helping us to walk in the Spirit so we don't see those things manifest. Although they're in our lives, always will be in our lives, they're not manifested any longer. So maybe you had a horrible anger. You would just scream and yell and ran and rave and and here you are ten years down the road as a believer and you still get angry but not like you used to and maybe twenty years down the road people look at you as the most gentlest creature on the earth man I wish I could be gentle like you but I have such an anger you're going oh man my anger is worse than yours I've known you for five years and never seen you be angry once Huh. You know, I, I think you're right. Wow. <laughs> when did that happen? Man, the Lord's good. I, I used to have the worst anger. And of course, we still see it show up every once in a while. But not like it used to be every day. Not like it used to be in the wrath of it. God began to change it. The same with the lust or the covetousness or the drugs or the alcohol we can see little by little God is changing us from glory to glory into his very image so Paul in Romans 6 <laughs> it's a good thing we always open to Romans 6 Responding quickly to Romans 5:20b, the second part of Romans chapter 5, verse 20. What shall we say then? 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Referring back to that Romans chapter 3 verse 8 comment. Certainly not. Because it's, it's an impossibility because he tells us, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? If you go down and go to the Glen Arby mortuary over here and go into the funeral parlor there and there's a guy stretched out watch him for a few hours and see if he struggles with any sin now one of his relatives might come in and go man that guy he was a chain smoker been here 10 hours haven't seen him smoke once that guy's been an alcoholic for 50 years haven't seen him take one drink in the last 10 hours We, when we became born again, God circumcised our heart. That old sinful nature was taken out of our spirit. Our spirit and our body, oh, they were used to be the best of friends. My mind, my will, my spirit would think up these sinful things and my flesh would go, all right, yeah, let's go. And oh, I had such a peace with my mind with my spirit, with my body. They weren't at war whatsoever. They all agreed. But when I got born again, that old sinful person that I once was, it disappeared. God circumcised it, took that foreskin of my heart and got rid of it, replaced it with his spirit. And now my mind comes up with things and I say, yuck, I don't want to do that. My flesh says, shut up, spirit. Come on, mind. Me and you together. With a little nudge from the devil and a little help from the world, we can make it happen. And my spirit's going, no way, guys. Devil, take a hike. World, I'm not going to be around you. I'm not going to listen to you. Body, shut up. I'm in charge here jump into the Word, try to strengthen myself through the Word and prayer and fellowship and try not to let my the members of my body be fed. Just try to starve them to death. As, it, as we're going to learn next week in verse 11. <laughs> I'm not going to get there this week. Likewise, you reckon, calculate yourself to be dead indeed to sin. We need to figure it up, man. Look over in Romans chapter 8. Also, we'll learn this next week. In verse 12. Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Oh no, I'm struggling, I'm sinning, oh God's going to reject me. No, that's all past. But you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. So there's a real work that God has done in our life. And so we tell the body, we tell the world, we tell the devil, take a hike. I used to have to live according to my flesh. My flesh would just drag me around and it was encouraged and fed by the world and the devil empowered my flesh. The devil empowered the world to take this stronghold of me. And spiritually I was dead, it says in Ephesians 2. My spirit was just long for the ride, you know. 
But now my spirit is alive. He's alive saying, no way. Devil, you're not going to destroy this body. World, I'm not going to be a part of the plan of Satan. I'm not going to be a part of the prince of the power of the air. I'm not going to be a part of the sins of disobedience unto eternal damnation. No way. Body, I've got to live in you a while longer. And until I get my new body, you're not going to bum out the Spirit of God any longer. You're no longer going to be a part of that world. And you're no longer going to be a part of Satan's plan of destruction of you as well as of others. Now you quickly find out that you're not strong. <laughs> I'm no match to my devil. I'm no match to the devil. I'm no match to the world. I'm no match to this flesh. The flesh can take me down in a heartbeat. The devil can take me down in a heartbeat. The world will just suck me in and I just right there to peer pressure and hang out at the construction site all day and the guy's using God's name constantly and there in my dreams at night I'm using the Lord's name in vain I wake up in the morning and breakfast isn't ready and I slip it out there it comes you know where did I I don't talk like that well I'm no match to the world I act like them I talk like them I'm impressionable to, to their jokes and to their thinking to their politically correct attitudes we're going to learn next week <laughs> You cannot give the members of your body over to unrighteousness and live righteously. What goes in these eyes is going to make a world of difference whether you're going to be successful as a Christian. What goes in these ears is going to make a world of difference whether you're going to be able to keep your body under subjection. Chapter 6 to chapter 8 is talking about sanctification. What we are able to do while in this human flesh. We're in this human flesh for a short time. But let me tell you something, folks. This is the only opportunity we have to deny ourselves, take up a cross, and follow Jesus. This is the only time that we get to show bravery, courage, self-denial. This is the only time we get to help the lost, the depressed, the downcast. This is the only time... We get to be in war and to show that we can conquer the flesh, the devil, and the world. You're never going to get this opportunity again. When we get our new bodies and we're in heaven, there's going to be none depressed. There's going to be none lost. There's going to be none that need any kind of encouragement or help. There'll be no bravery. There'll be no courage. There'll be no honor. All of these things, nobility... They'll just all be second nature to us. We'll never again have the opportunity to show that we're brave, to show that we're courageous, to show that we're noble. We'll never be able to again to be able to show that we can deny ourselves. This is it. In this moment of time, this vapor of opportunity, it'd be like the guy down at the bank and a robber comes in and and. He grabs a lady and, and says, you know, if you don't give me the money, I'm going to kill her. And there you scurry under the table and hide until it's all over. Find out later she got a bullet in the head. and Try to live with yourself. I think you'd say, if I had the opportunity to do it over again, I wish I had a character of bravery. I didn't have that character of bravery. I thought I did, you know. 
I thought, I'd, you know, it comes, I don't know karate, but I'd get, learn it in an instant, you know, and hiya, you know, and kick it out, kick the gun out of his hand. And, but I didn't do it. I scoured under the table. Boy, I wish I had that opportunity again for that same situation. Well, I'm telling you, when you get to heaven, there's going to be many of you kicking yourself, going, I rode the fence, I didn't live the Christian life, I could have and I didn't. You were a wimp. You gave into the world. Those old friends came and said, come on, drinking with us. Your flesh is going, all right. The devil's going, come on, man. Sin abounds, grace abounds more. And there you go off. Living a life after the flesh. Living a life, not walking in the spirit, but walking after the flesh. Feeding the flesh, the movies, the entertainment those crude jokes, that language. I'm telling you right now, folks, you don't have to live that way. You can live and walk and talk just as Jesus Christ did. Not in perfection as he did, but very close to it. You can have every word you speak be as it were the utterance of Christ. The work of sanctification can be almost a completed work while even in the sinful body. Yes, through the power of God's Spirit, you can dominate your fleshly body every day for the rest of your life. Isn't that radical? To have God's patience and love and joy, to walk as Jesus walked, to be able to have the supernatural working of God in my mouth, in my hands, with my life. To actually have the opportunity to look at pornography and say, yeah, agree, but I don't want to look at that stuff for a second. The opportunity to be angry and justifiably angry and just your heart so full of love, you can't even get angry. To have the opportunity of pride to flare up, going, who do they think they are treating you like that, man? And there's no pride, just that humility of Jesus Christ humbling yourself to be a slave of all men. Yes, we can begin living that way now. And that's what we're going to learn in Romans 6. <laughs> really. And next week, and 7, and 8, we're going to see it in its truest sense in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. We're going to see it from the very eyes of God. And then we're going to learn practically how it works out in chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. We're going to be able to get the, where the rubber meets the road. But right now, we need to come to understand that we do not have to continue in sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. We are dead to sin. We do not have to live any longer in it. Do you understand that? We do not have to live a life after the flesh. We can have a life after the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, where the world is crucified to me and I to the world, where the passions and the desires, Paul says in Galatians 5, I've crucified my flesh with its passions and desires. Radical. Paul said, you can follow me as I follow Christ. There's no reason that every one of us couldn't be able to say that. There's some pretty radical scriptures. James chapter 1. Let the 
trial have its perfect work till you're complete, perfect, lacking in nothing. Wow. God can place his character in our life to such an extent that it almost looks as perfection. We'll know it's not. <laughs> but it looks pretty doggone close to that. I don't believe in sinful per perfection as John Wesley talked about. He believed that we could live a life where we're no longer sinning. Um, I do not believe that. But I do believe that we can live a life that's doggone close to it by the power of God's Spirit. And we're going to learn a lot more practically and through the power of God's Spirit next week in Romans chapter 6. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask in Jesus' name today that we would not twist your word, that we would not distort your word. And Lord, if there's any here tonight that come into that arena of being somebody who lives a life after the flesh and who's trying to find out the littlest common denominator they can have and still be right with you. Lord, teach them the joy of walking in the Spirit, the joy of having a clean heart and a innocence about their life again, a purity in their life again, to have the joy of salvation, the joy of a freeness of mind, a freeness of hands, to be free to walk after the Spirit, not bound up by their flesh anymore not debtors to their flesh, not entangled by their flesh, not entangled by the world. They're not allowing the devil to bring us into those grasp of his again. Lord, we know that so many believers have been entrapped by the devil, even as Christians. Many believers being entangled by their fleshly appetites and desires, even as Christians. And Christians, so many still eating the crumbs have never really bit into that giant loaf of bread that you offer us daily, have never really sat at the table and ate that perfect prime rib, still only picking up crumbs of Christianity, never being able to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. They've never experienced that. And thus, they have no witness because what they know of you, they wouldn't really want to tell anybody else. The joy they have is so minimal, it's not a joy to even talk about. The blindness that they've been healed of is they're still seeing so dimly that it's really not seeing hardly at all. Lord, re bring them up today. Pierce their hearts by your Spirit. Let the grieving, the groaning be greater than ever before until they say, Oh, I have to live a life after the Spirit or I die. Don't let them continue. Don't let him continue in that feeble, anemic form of godliness with no power. Raise them up today to want to say, yes, I want to live for God and to be all that he would have me to be. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you all.